0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that's in it. We thank you for how much you love us or how much you have provided for us. Lord, this morning I ask that uh, from your word we would see why we believe it. Uh, and Lord, this morning I ask that you would speak to those who, who may doubt your word, um, that you would supernaturally Convince and convict them that this is what you have given to us as your revelation for how we should live and what we should believe and who we should love, and that being you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. um, So far, the focus of today has been about believing. Sunbeams sang about what they believe, and Living Stones sang about, Do you believe in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Um, And it seems nowadays that there is a very strong attack. It's the cool thing to do now to be an atheist and attack Christians and point out how stupid we are. Um, It's become a a game and it's become a joke and it's become a way to make money for them. Uh, But this morning I want us to talk. I just want to talk. Um, I've got some notes, but I just want us to be able to talk and and see where we're really at Uh, and just ask you this morning, why do you believe the Bible? Teens, have you ever asked your parents why they believe the Bible, why they believe it so much that they're going to drag you to church every Sunday? Why do people believe the Bible? Why do we come here every Sunday praying to a God that the Bible tells us about? Do you know why? Um, some people believe the Bible just because it says we should. The Bible makes the claim to be God's word, and so I believe it's God's word because the Bible says it. Uh, but doesn't the Koran also claim to be God's word? The Book of Mormon? Uh, The Watchtower. We have all these other groups that claim that their book is God's Word. So why do we believe the Bible over these other books? Uh, Do we believe the Bible just because it's a good means to control our children? God says, you have to obey me. Where does he say that? In the Bible. Oh, okay. Um, Some people, that's what they use the Bible for, as a means of behavior modification. Uh, my niece has, she's just figured out she can lie. Uh, she's three years old. She will be doing something right in front of you, and you will say, stop doing that. And she'll say, I didn't do it. So how are we going to stop her from lying? Are we just going to tell her God said not to do it? That could work. Uh, some, some people believe the Bible because it gives them comfort. It gives comfort to hurting people, uh, people who are suffering, people who are sick, people who have lost loved ones. It gives us hope for a future beyond this life. We, we believe it because we like what it says. It makes us feel good. But you know, there are some people who don't believe the Bible specifically because of what it says, So just, just because we like it, is that a good enough reason to believe it? Some people believe the Bible just because it's what they've grown up with all their life. It's all they've ever been around. It's all they've ever known. And so I believe the Bible. It's what I've been taught since I was a child. But then we go to Iran, and they are raised with the Quran. And that's all they know. And so every one of them is a Muslim. So if you were born in Iran, would you be a Muslim? Probably, to start with, anyway. Hopefully the truth would get to you eventually. Um, So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about why we believe the Bible and uh, looking into some of these questions, hopefully, so we can understand why we believe what we believe, and help that to turn us into people who are more passionate about the God who has given us his word and has changed our hearts. Now, I can tell you about why we believe the Bible. There are lots of reasons uh, that people have given for why we believe the Bible uh, outside of the Bible. We look at science. We look at uh, scientific statements made in the Bible. In the book of Job, uh, he says, The Lord hangs the earth on nothing. This was written at a time when most of the world believed that the earth rested on the back of a giant turtle. True. But God comes and says, No, he hangs the earth on nothing. And now we know... That the earth is in orbit, hanging not on any string, not resting on anything's back, having no, you know, pillars that support it. We know it's in a gravitational orbit around the sun. Jeremiah 33, verse 22 says that the number of stars is countless. And people like Galileo tried to actually count the stars, and they came up with a number around 1,056. Okay. But now we know that in our, in our galaxy alone, we have 100 billion stars. And there are probably another 100 billion galaxies outside of ours with stars of their own. I don't know how you count that many billions, but they don't know. We don't know how many stars there are. The Bible told us a long time ago, and science has now proven that we'll never be able to count the stars. Hebrews 11, verse 3 tells us that the world that we see was made out of things that we do not see. And now we know that the the world is made out of what? We have atoms, tiny atoms. Invisible atoms that we can't see They're also speculating that there's this thing called dark matter That fills the entire universe And based on gravitational, you know Radiation and all these kind of things There's all this extra stuff out there that we never knew about That we couldn't see But we think it's there The Bible told us that a long time ago so do we believe the Bible is where God's word? Because it is scientifically accurate, where it makes scientific statements. Do we believe because of archaeology, uh, they found the walls of Jericho, and they found the walls exactly as the Bible described them. How the Bible described the walls falling? That's how they found them. Uh, the Hittites, who are mentioned in the Old Testament, they were once thought to be a biblical legend until their capital and the records were discovered in Bagazkoy, Turkey. It was once claimed that there was no Assyrian king named Sargon, as recorded in Isaiah 20, verse 1. Because this name was not known in any other record. And then Sargon's palace was discovered in Iraq. The very event mentioned in Isaiah 20, his capture of Ashdod, was recorded on the palace walls. And what is more, fragments of a stella memorializing the victory were found at Ashdod itself. The Bible is proved to be true by archaeology. The biggest one to me is prophecy. We have Jesus predicting the temple was going to be destroyed and not one stone was going to be left on top of another. And in the year 70 A.D., The Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and ripped the temple apart. They burned the stones to get the gold out of the stones, to melt the gold so that they could collect it. They destroyed the temple just as Jesus predicted. Jesus himself was the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. And they've calculated the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. And the answer is uh, 1 in 10 with 17 zeros after that 10. The number is called a quadrillion. All right? Jesus, just fulfilling 8 of those prophecies is a quadrillion. 1 in quadrillion. For 48 of those prophecies, the number jumps to uh, 10 with 157 zeros after it. Just for 48. 48 but Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. Is that why we believe? Or is it because the Bible is the most accurately translated, uh, well-attested transcript document of the ancient world? We have over 14,000 manuscripts. Right? The... Because the Bible wasn't written in English. We know that, right? Okay. No? Paul, you didn't know. All right. Good. You learned something today. 14,000 manuscripts from Greek and Hebrew and everything. We, they, have, they have copied over the years, over thousands of years, and the translations are 99.5% Accurate. The, the closest do, ancient document is called... Uh, it was written by Homer. How many of you had to study Homer in, in college or anything like that? Uh, I did, yeah. Uh, he wrote something called the Iliad. And they have, I think... What was the number? Maybe 200 copies of that. And they only have 95% accuracy on that. The manuscripts that we have for the Bible... Are up to 100 years after the originals were written all of these other ancient documents most of them they only have a copy written a thousand years after the original was written so our document is much closer to the original writings we can look at changed lives Look at your life. You used to do certain things. God's word changed you. Now you don't do those things. Is that why we believe the Bible is God's word? Haven't people been changed by other religions? People have been changed by the Koran. People have been changed by the Book of Mormon. So why do we believe this is God's word? You know, there are people who know every single thing that I just told you about the transcripts, about the Bible scientific statements, about archaeological evidence that confirms what the Bible has said. They know all of that and still don't believe. Why? If it was just a logical, evidential argument, wouldn't everyone be a Christian? So it has to be more than that. Why don't those people who know all of that believe? Romans chapter 3 tells us, In verse 9, he says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together that they may become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is our condition. This is how we are born. We don't believe because we don't want to believe. We like what we're already doing, even if it's self destructive. We would rather have control over our own lives than have to die to ourself. It is the nature we are born with. John chapter sixty six, verse four, also gives us a reason why we don't believe. 66 verse 44. 6 verse 44. My bad. Thank you. What would Pastor Lee say? I was just testing y'all. Right? Okay. <laughs> Jesus is having an argument with the Jews, and he's, be- he's told them he's the bread of life. And the Jews are saying, mm, You're not who are you? We know you. We know where you come from. We know your parents. You're nobody. You're not the bread of life. This is what they're saying to themselves. In verse 44, uh, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. People don't believe because the Father has not drawn them yet. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. So people, we do not look at the evidence and use our brains and read what we see there and say, wow, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I like this God person. Yeah, Jesus did a good thing. I agree with that. I'll believe that. That's not how it works. There has to be an initiation from God. There has to be a supernatural change to convince you that what this is is His Word. The only true reason we believe. It's because God has convinced us himself. Peter experienced the same thing in Matthew chapter 16. Peter is a- Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And how does Peter respond? He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? Someone didn't come along and, and convince Peter that Jesus was this. Peter didn't watch all the miracles that Jesus said and did and, and think to himself, hmm, this guy's the Messiah. Where did it come from? What does the verse say? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And it happens the same way for every single one of us. We are supernaturally changed in our hearts by God who draws us and gives us to Jesus. That's why we believe. Let's go back to John. Chapter 6. Start at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Some people say, man, if I could just go back and watch Jesus do these things, then I would believe. But these people were there. They saw everything Jesus did. And what? They still did not believe. They didn't believe the things Jesus said. It takes a supernatural change. So Jesus makes this statement that he is the bread of life from heaven, the people do not believe, and what's Jesus' response in verse 37? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So who is the one who gives to Jesus? The Father. The Father has given you to Jesus. The Father Always knew who he was going to give to Jesus, and he drew them, and it was it was a drawing that that worked. <laughs> you know what I mean? The word is efficacious. It was effective. God chose us. The Book of Ephesians tells us that God chose us before the time began, uh, before the foundation of the world. And now we see how it works that the Father draws us to Jesus and Jesus accepts us. He says He will never turn any one of us away. But that only comes through the Father's drawing, through the Father's convincing and convicting. So, so what are the implications of this? What is the application of this? of Knowing that It really is God who does everything in the convincing and the convicting. What does that mean for apologetics, for knowing scientific statements in the Bible are true and all the archaeological evidence and knowing that the transcripts are are accurate beyond any other document? This statement destroys the idea of deism, the belief that God just kind of dropped the Bible into our laps and told us to figure it out ourselves, It shows that he is an active God, a real God, a living God, who works in our hearts constantly, revealing himself to us as a God who cares about our daily life, God is not distant. He is working in your heart. Some of you are here this morning and you think, man, I don't believe any of this stuff. Or maybe you're doubting. Don't worry. This is all part of the process. God's going to get you. You can't run from God. If you are His, you will come to Him. This takes away any boasting that we might have in any self-righteous way, any way that, that we look at ourselves and say, man, I'm, I'm better than them. Man, I, I don't do those things that they do. Well, why don't you do those things? Was it you? Or was it God? Because Romans tells us and Jesus himself tells us that we wouldn't come to God. If it was up to us, no one seeks God. We have all turned to our own way. This is why Jesus uses the uh, illustration of a shepherd so much. because sheep are stupid. Right? They lose their sense of direction. They have to be led everywhere. If they get lost, they're not going to find their way home. The book of Isaiah tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody. And so what does the shepherd need to do? The shepherd goes out and finds the sheep and has to pick him up and wrap him and tie him around his shoulders. Because the sheep, unless you tie it, you know, he's got to tie his feet and and bring him. The sheep is not, you're not going to drag that sheep. He's got to pick it up and bring it. We have nothing to do with our salvation. It is all God. And so what does this do? It removes our boasting, but it gives all the glory to God. We can take no credit for it. It makes God that much greater. It should enhance our praise and worship. When we come in here on a Sunday morning, we should be able to just let it all out because of who God is and what he's done and where we would be if he had not chosen us and came and got us. Because we would be just like every other person who has turned away and still living a life apart from God. Because salvation is not just a mechanism of human logic. It is a supernatural act. I'm talking about apologetics. This reminds us that apologetics is not the gospel. Defending the faith is not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Apologetics is a useful tool that can point to the clues of God. But ultimately, it will be God who changes someone's heart. So... Some of us like to argue, right? We like to get in theological debates with people who don't believe like we do. And we beat people down to prove that we're right. But instead of spending all our time debating with people, let's put our energy into loving people. That's where people are going to see real change. And I'm not saying we throw apologetics away at all. Apologetics was a huge benefit to me. I think it's great for Christians to have a deeper understanding of the reliability of the Bible. But ultimately, we have to remember that it's God who's going to change the heart when we put Christ's love into practice and living out the gospel. So, this means now, because it's all God, this means we need to pray. We need to ask God to regenerate hearts for his spirit to convict people of their sin. This means we need to expose people to the word of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ because they are where we find the gospel that God will use to change the heart of people. We don't just tell people, to stop doing that. We have to... Well, Dr. Mark said it last week. We don't just tell people what not to do. We have to tell them what to do. Because, you know, we think with all the technology and, and convenience and enlightenment and psychology and behavior modification techniques, that we would have figured out how to make the world a better place. Right? Right? We would know how to stop war, stop genocide, stop injustice, stop death, stop mistreatment. But they haven't because the condition of the human heart will never change unless it's exposed to the gospel found in God's word and they are convinced and convicted by God himself to believe what Christ did on the cross. It's all God. I'm repeating myself. It's okay. It's all God. I think this also can remove frustration from our hearts because some of us have family members who don't believe, who aren't living the way that we want them to. Um, Continue to pray for them. Don't withhold love from them until they do what you want them to do. They've got to see the gospel working in your life, being lived out in your life. God is the one who changes the heart. Let's love people, let's not get caught up in details. Let's give them Jesus the one who came and sacrificed himself for our sin took the wrath of god like i just i just pictured jesus on the cross dying and god saying god just kind of exhaling and saying my wrath is done it's just an amazing picture to me all because of jesus and he was resurrected. God raised him up from the dead for our justification to give us hope that we will be able to live with him someday knowing that God is no longer mad at us once we have put our faith in Christ. So This morning, I want you to ask yourself, have you been supernaturally convinced of God's Word? Or are you simply trying to make it logically agree in your mind? And then you'll believe it. Pray for each other. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. It's going to be God who saves them. And when He does... Praise him. Praise him for you, for what he's done in your life. And praise him that he has given us his word that changes lives. Let's pray right now. God, this morning I pray for those who are doubting, who are unsure if they should dedicate their life to you. Because people have been attacking your word, God. Lord, I pray for your spirit to do a supernatural miracle in the heart of those who don't believe in you. That they would place their faith and trust in Jesus and everything that he did. Not just for their salvation now, but for their life after salvation. That he would continue to work in them, to change them, to sanctify them for you and to be used by you. For your glory. God, help us all to appreciate the work that Jesus did and the amazing miracle of our salvation to take people who were not seeking you, and yet you came and you rescued us because you love us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you right now for that. In Jesus' name, amen.